Well, I'll yield the floor as we do on Wednesday nights. We can. Um, we had some discussion last week on Romans 11. We looked at um, the place of Israel in the um, economy of God. We also uh, discussed in the past before, I mean, ranging from whatever Philip preached on Sunday or what I preached on, I'm going to Ephesians, um, things that you might be looking into you, your devotional time. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we pretty much start with you and what we can uh, seek to uh, edify you with. We always have something we can share. It's just that we'll start with you first. Don. In light of the Supreme Court nominations, uh, or nomination, I should say, the candidates, um, the, the, the front runner, I guess, a uh, couple things is uh, evidently Roman Catholic. Uh, and, of course, the, the media would, would uh, describe her as, you know, devout Roman Catholic. Uh, they're going to say she's pro-life. Uh, my, my question has to do with her uh, thinking on, quote, natural law, unquote, that she says she won't uh, impose her faith on rulings or on, on the law. She's going to appeal to natural law. And I want to maybe, maybe if there's some thought on uh, the difference, the differences, um, those who would say that natural law is the, there's some who would say that natural law is the universal binding moral law on all men's hearts. Uh, you know, if that's, if that's true, if that's biblical or not. And then, of course, always uh, my concern is, you know, by what standard? Uh, my own standard is that uh, when she says something to the effect, she's not going to impose her faith on the law. That, to me, you know, rules are out in my book. Uh, it's, first of all, being Roman Catholic, uh, if she's true, to her Roman Catholicism, if she is a, quote, devout Roman Catholic, then that would rule her out as, as far as understanding. But again, my, my question is this uh, notion about natural law. It's not the first time we've heard that, you know, with Supreme Court nominees. Ever since uh, Clarence Thomas came on the scene, and it, it, it's been a topic that always floats now with this kind of thing. Uh, and so maybe if you have some thoughts on that or comments. Uh, I'll suggest first a definition of what is natural law so we can kind of know what we're talking about. Any takers on that? Uh, let me do this. Let's see. What is natural law? I won't find it here. I'm just trying to get another tab. What is natural law? Jeez, Wikipedia. They've got a body of unchanging moral principles regarded as a basis of all for all human conduct, an observable law relating to natural phenomena. That's from the internet. Is there such a thing as natural law? Is, is that what it is? 
Why do they use those kind of journals? Because they have no basis. One thing, uh, when, it's, when it's Catholic, um, you know, Aquinas is a big influence on their theology. And Aquinas, he reasons to God. He doesn't start with God. When he has his five proofs for the existence of God, those might encourage Christians because it makes sense. But when we look at it, he doesn't start with God. He, he concludes with God. And the unbeliever, the, the atheist, is just going to say, well, why don't we just end and conclude with, you know, the flying spaghetti monster? You know, why does it have to be God? Why does it have to be God in the Bible? And, and so I think with natural law, that's, it's, it seems to be a, a, a similar issue, a similar problem. So let's ask this question. Is there such a thing as natural law? Well, again, what is it? She just, uh, just Googled something for me. Oh, go ahead. She's, she's embarrassed. <laughs> this is a definition out of Wikipedia. Natural law is a system of law that purports to be based on values intrinsic to human nature that can be deduced and applied independently of positive law. According to natural law theory, all people have inherent rights conferred not by an act of legislature, but by an act of God or reason. The problem with, I mean, you, this is a definition. It could, could be agreed with, but the problem is, if I stand up we don't have the same that. definition for the same words. Right. If I say, I don't believe there's natural law. No, no. no. I mean, I, How do you contradict me that there is such a thing as natural law? Yeah. If I went to this Amy girl, what I guess the Supreme Court, no. And she says she believes in natural law. It's not natural law when it comes to gender. That whether gender you're born with by nature, that's the one we got to go with. That's natural then, law. Then I, I would agree. Uh, but the problem is words are multiple choice. This is <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Natural natural law right here. Uh, what? This is as close as you're going to get to natural law right here. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So men are, they have law. It's just not natural law. It's this. It's Romans 1. So they know God. They know who he is in the sense of um, his power uh, his attributes, and they know, as it says, even further down in this chapter, um, he says, uh, they do not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over. And he says, uh, verse 32, for although they know the ordinance of God, really, the ordinance of God, what is that? Uh, that's their natural law. But it's this, it's the ordinance of God. And 2.15, and that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness. Correct. Now, that's the Bible. So the, since the Bible is our standard, and we start with the Bible, we start with the Bible. We don't start with us. We don't start with natural law. We start with the Bible. And the Bible tells us what we know and what we don't know. He tells us um, what it's called. And so in Romans 1, they know the ordinance of God. They not only know what God's 
likes and doesn't like, they know that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They know the penalty. They know this is a, uh, a violation that's worthy of this type of um, retribution from God. Now, the worldling would call that, yeah, you're right. That's Romans 1, biblical law. That's what we all know. They're not going to agree with God. They're going to call it something else out there because every man trying to do what's right in his own eyes is going to definitely always have, as it says in Romans 1, a worldview that's going to suppress the truth. They're going to suppress God out of this thing. That's what they do. So I don't expect them to start with God or to definitely conclude with God. They're not going to do that. So this person saying, I believe in natural law. All I got to do is tweak it a little bit and say, now, what is that again? And where did it come from? And, and, and how do you know that there is such an animal called the natural law? And then she has to prove by some standard outside of natural law where natural law comes from. And we're just going to get that standard from right here. This is where the manufacturing plan is for all the gods of all the people in the world that are not Christians. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. It comes from his own vain imaginations. And they'll say, well, it's just, or I believe, instead they'll use the I pronoun ad nauseum because it's always from their perspective. That's their axiom that they work off of. An axiom is um, a starting point in geometry that you cannot prove, okay? I have a theorem, you know, and it, it works on the, as you study geometry, you put these theorems out there. But an axiom is something like, you know, shortest point between the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. You don't prove that you start with it. You use it. It's like you're going to build a house and you bring a set of tools. You don't get tools to work on your tools. I bring hammers and saws and nails because those are foundational to build the house. I don't bring something to make the hammer and to make the nails and to make the saw. It's, it's the tools of a basic foundational uh, understanding and knowledge. It's like the laws of contradiction in logic. You don't prove them, you have to use them. Uh, and because you can't even think without them, we can just identify them, but you don't get behind the laws of logic and try to prove laws of logic. A equals A. I mean, that's about as simple as it gets. A door is a door. That's A equals A. You don't try to prove the law. It's just, that's just the law. And um, it's how God's mind is architectured. That's why our minds architecture along the same lines. What's rational for us is because it's rational with God. It came from God. And so it's not a matter of trying to prove it. It's a matter of just using it and trying to demonstrate it. Um, but we know that, and we can start with that, and we can make our points from that. The lost man's problem is they try to borrow from our tool chest to build a worldview that is contradictory to God. So first thing you do when you're dealing with lost people is you get your own tools. Go and try to build your own worldview without logic. Build your own view without rationale. Build your own view without any kind of uh, system of, you know, A plus B equals C kind of thing. If you're going to, you know, condemn, you know, our worldview, I'm going to start asking you questions on where you got your tools from. And you're going to have to show me where you got your tools, not the building, the tools, but you're not going to borrow from my toolbox. That's the number one thing you want to always do in, in apologetics is get people to think, based on their foundation. Now, why do you think this is true? Where did you get that from? See, I'm asking them to prove their statements. When someone says, well, you know, uh, I believe this is true or, or I believe this is false, whatever. And you know that how? How do you know that's true? I make them go back to their toolbox and tell me how they got the trueness of whatever their statement is. It might be popular opinion. They might call it science. They might call it statistics or whatever. Well, I can go back and say, well, give me the, 
the footnotes and I don't want to research all of that well as well. And even when I go back and find those things, where did they get their information from to make that statistic? See, I can keep going back to this infinite regress to finally, I throw them back on how do you know anything? Exactly. My Bible says, this is how you know. This is, this is how you and me and the lost people know reality. God has to give us that ability to do that because he can take that away from people. Just ask Nebuchadnezzar. Just ask half the people in the mental ward. They can't, they can't even, the tools that they have been given in basic understanding, they don't even have the common senses anymore and they start losing their faculties and they're out of touch with reality or they start thinking in, in ways that it's like this person's not all there. That's not by coincidence. To him who has, more shall be given. But to him who doesn't have, think about that. Even what he has shall be taken away. Now, does, wait a minute. If he doesn't have, how can you take something away from him? <laughs> you think back at that day, you know? So in, in the kingdom, it isn't, you know, God's going to make everything equal. No. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer in the kingdom of heaven. How is that for equality? Stick that in your critical theory and see how far that thing flies. The rich are supposed to get richer and the poor are supposed to get poorer. Because the poor, according to the scripture, in the spiritual realm, not the physical realm. In the spiritual realm, if you're poor, you're, you're poor there because of not just the sovereignty of God, but the decisions you made to be poor. And the more you make them, the more you lose ground. The, you, even what you have is going to be taken away until finally the toolbox gets taken away. And you're not even able to use the toolbox anymore. And you've seen it. Romans 1 is a clear case. You know, these people, they start giving themselves over to this and this. Finally, they have nothing but a depraved mind. And they, I mean, animals can actually stay in their lane better than humans. And it's like, how did they get there? They got there because the, what they had got taken away incrementally. God gave them up. God gave them up. Then God gave them over to that kind of mind. And we see this in our culture big time. So going back to Tom's point on this whole thing with the natural law, every Supreme Court justice is going to function from a basis of law. This is what they start with in Romans 1. That's what everybody starts with. How far they fall from it or how far they borrow and steal from the Christian worldview to make decisions that's something else as well. But what I can tell you what they don't have. They don't have something called a natural law. And they'll have something they've invented that now that they're using. And it seems to work. And we, we seem to, to be able to um, have this moral compass now that we've invented on our own. No, you didn't. It was given to you by God. And here it is. And it's, there's only one moral compass for every person. Doesn't matter if they're living in Africa. They're a Muslim. They're a Hindu. They're a rank secularist. Uh, they worship scientism. Or they're a Christian. Here it comes, right here. This is what it says for every man. And so the next chapter he talks about the Jew. You see him using the law. It's just that the law is impotent to actually uh, do the things that it needs for this man to have and to be. It can enlighten. It just can't empower. Two different, vastly different universes. So, so I don't know if that kind of helps. Anybody want to jump in on that? To that on this whole thing with natural law? Yeah, she has a past history. One of the children she adopted is mentally challenged. Her past history tells you that politically, she's got to give a vague answer like that because she would be assaulted so badly by the Democrats 
in this political world we live in, they will go after her tooth and nail and all the media too. So she can tell them one thing and do what she wants to do after she's in there. That's my thoughts. Now, I don't know who you'd put up that has that kind of background as far as seven children, past record against abortion, and, you know, seems to be a decent person. Now, she might turn coat. You don't know. But who else do you put in there? Look what she's replacing. They all bragging on how great a woman that was. And I don't know, she might have changed her heart at the last minute, but I figure she's in a warm climate right now. I think, I think the issue is the standard. I don't care who they put in. Um, you know, I don't care if she's a nice woman with seven children uh, and you know, claiming to be anti-abortion. Uh, we hear that so often. Uh, so many justices or at least candidates that claim to be pro-life. Uh, what is it? Over 40 years now, some 46 years or something or plus, uh, Roe v. Wade is still standing uh, as a decision. Um, we get, get these promises. When she's not going to take a stand, if a person's not going to take a stand on the truth, then why, you know, why should I think that all of a sudden they're going to get on the bench and all of a sudden they're going to change? They're, 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 they're going to change. that she's not believing in. What are we talking about? The truth about? of God's word. You know? Of God's word and his law and the gospel of Jesus Christ. If she's a quote-unquote devout Roman Catholic, she has a different view of justification. She has a different view of the law. She has a different view of Christ. Um, so my, my point is, again, we hear these things often, um, you know, and, and, and we say, okay, well, who are we going to put in there? Well, that's part of our judgment is that we're, we're lacking. I mean, the fact that, you know, I don't have a bulletproof back on, uh, on my back, but the fact that a woman is being appointed is another thing that, that I think is, is a sign of judgment on our land. Um, but, you know, we, we can go into that. But there, there, there's just this issue of failing to stand for truth. Failing to stand for truth. And who is Jesus Christ? He's the truth. They suppress, as it says, the truth and unrighteousness because they love their sin more than God. The power, the love of power, the love of money, that love of money is the root of all evil. I mean, it, it brings about these problems that we're seeing. So again, to... to you know, laud her for her, uh, her humanity, okay? She might be a, you know, a, a sweet person. She might be a nice lady and all that. But in the end, if she doesn't know Jesus Christ, her sweetness will send her to hell mm -hmm. as it will anyone else. And, and, and so, again, when we, my, my, my question had more to do with this issue of natural law. Because that's something we hear so much. And as if, as if as Christians even, we can say, oh, well, we'll accept, we'll accept this natural law. It's like 
we'll, we'll, we'll sort of wink at the Bible or we'll, we'll, we'll hide the Bible until we get into a position where we can do something. And then all of a sudden we'll whip out the Bible and we'll change. We're, we're suppressing the truth from the beginning when we act like that. We're not being upfront and honest. We're not being truthful. I think from my position, um, think about Augustine and the city of God and the city of man. And when I look at all of those issues, I see all of that Supreme Court, the White House, Congress as the city of man. And so I fully do not expect a biblical Christian to ever be nominated to the Supreme Court. I don't expect it. I agree with you, Pastor. Yeah. What my point is just that, that so many of us are willing to say that's okay. Yeah. But, I mean, and the thing about when you look at it from a common grace standpoint, and we talk about um, God's judgment on nations, and I believe that he judges whole nations, I think that we're under judgment right now. I agree. I think that that's, that's what we're under. I agree. But in the practical matters of, uh, for example, the president or the Supreme Court, and I look at the alternatives under the realm, not of the church or of saving grace, but under the realm of common grace, the type of country that I want to live in. If if I've got an alternative between this Roman Catholic pro-life lady and the alternative of what they would want to put forward, I would want her every time in the realm of common grace. See, I have no problem with that. That's not my issue. My issue is that, that we accept that as that alternative. We accept that as, as that's the way it is. We accept that as that, that's the way we've got to live. Wait, who's we? Yeah. All of us. All, of, all Americans? Christians. That we, we accept it as, you know, we, we, we use the, the, the phrase, the lesser of two evils. We say, well, I, I certainly don't want a Democrat nominee in there. I can agree with that. I don't. I don't want a Democratic nomination for a Supreme Court justice. All right? I agree. But my, my point is that why? Because of the, the Word of God tells me the kind of people we want Will we ever see a Christian on the Supreme Court? I don't know, but I don't think it's impossible. Will we ever see a, a, a president that's truly a Christian? I don't know. But, but you know, I, I guess it's like, why do we settle for second best? Why do we settle for that? Um, you know, we, we are going to inherit the earth. How do we know yeah. that we've had presidents that weren't Christian? Why I don't, How can you I judge don't. them? You don't know them personally. You don't know if they've accepted Christ. They might have come out and say, hey, I've been baptized except Christ, but we can't judge that if they're Christian or not. Not, you know. You're right. I'm not, I'm not going to say that all of the presidents that have ever been have not been Christian. I don't know. But what I'm saying is when we look at what we've got, say, in the past, at least in my lifetime, we've got some issues. We've got some issues with men. So what should and, we do? What should we do? Uh, to me, honestly, it, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is our standard. And I, I, would, I, I don't want to settle for less. And, and I, I'm just saying that when we use those phrases like natural law, I want to make sure what is that? <clears throat> is that acceptable to Christians, natural law? I'm saying it's not. I'm saying 
you know, they can say they want natural law and all, but um, it's anti-biblical. And we're, we're, praising, we're praising someone who's going to make that statement. Who's going to take that position. We're saying it's laudable. And I don't think it's laudable. I think in the sphere of the government, that I mean, I don't think we can expect someone who claims to be Roman Catholic to have, I mean, a real answer for what natural law is biblically. But the, the, the example of Paul in scripture when it comes to the government is not necessarily to pray that the government will be uh, completely Christian. And, um, but his prayer was that we'll be able to live peacefully. We'll be able to have freedom. We'll be able to have opportunity for the gospel without persecution and so I think that should be the number one standard for how we look at what the options that we have. Um, so obviously, as we, as you already stated, as Philip said, there's no doubt that we would rather have her than Ginsburg or whoever else would, what the Democrats would put up or some of the other options that Trump may, may pick. So let, let me ask this question. I've pondered this a lot. This is where I am in it. You go back to the reform period. They saw, as it were, two kingdoms in this world. Uh, Augustine called it two cities. That you have the kingdom of man with its government, and you have the kingdom of God just as we don't want the kingdom of man telling us what to do, the kingdom of man don't want us to tell them what to do. I, I got in trouble one day in seminary. We sat at, at tables with five or six people and we were supposed to discuss the relationship of the gospel to society. Now, this was a brethren seminary, and I happened to be the only Caucasian at the table. And this was in 1960, uh, 1978, something like that. And I made this statement, and I still hold it today. I don't see that the Bible, the New Testament especially, is speaking to the kingdom of the world. From the epistles on, it's talking to the church. And I made the statement that I, I do not see Paul, nor even Jesus, challenging their culture, their customs, or their government. They challenged the synagogue, Judaism, and in the epistles, the failures in the church. I was asked one time by a group from Jimmy Swaggart Ministries when I was pastoring to throw in to go demonstrate in front of 7-Elevens because they had pornographic material. I'm sitting right next to Jim Rentz, who was a pastor there. And when they asked me if I was going to throw in, I said, no. I said, why? I said, because I believe that pornography belongs in 7-Eleven. I'm struggling with it in my church. 
And the other point that I made was that if that in retail business, your success or failure depends on being able to predict what your audience or your customers want. And I said, if uh, the customers wanted the Bible, the Bible would be there, but instead Hustler Magazine. And then I went on to say, I said, who knows? Maybe Jimmy has got a problem with it. And he did, huh? Yeah, and I was prophetic. <laughs> you were. Well, part of, why, part of why I said that is because Jimmy was behind it, but he wasn't going to get out there and march. He was going to get these guys from the little churches who had little to lose. He wasn't going to get out there and lead it. Okay. And most of these leaders, that's what they do. They're the generals and they get the lieutenants and the, the, the little guys to get out there and, and, and take the bullets. But I said, I don't see the New Testament changing society. And one guy said, well, can you give me an example? I said, yes. And you used it the other day. I said, slavery. You cannot show me a scripture in the New Testament that's against slavery. Now, I can show you scriptures that tells you how slaves are supposed to behave. But one slave ran away and went to Paul. What did Paul do? He sent it back to the master. He didn't write an epistle about how he should let this man go and give him reparations. Because, and again, I don't see that. I, and I, I, I want to be clear here. I in no way agree with abortion. But when Jesus walked this earth and Paul walked this earth, in the Roman culture, when a female had a baby, she came and laid it at the feet of the husband. And if the husband picked it up, it lived. If he didn't pick it up, it was taken to the road to either be eaten by dogs, die of exposure, picked up by somebody who was going to use it for pedophile, for, for And they never took that on in the New Testament. In the days of the Romans, if you had a teenage son that rebelled against you, you could take his life. The woman belonged to her father until he was given to the husband, and the husband owned her. That's, that was the culture. And they didn't take this on. Paul said, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Now, culturally, he might have meant this. If you don't, you're going to beat the daylights out of you. Don't go. And I hope I'm not. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I was raised in a home with a bar, drink, bar, bar fighting drinking dad and a mother who was a crazy charismatic. And she tried to push stuff down him. And her authority was, you know what the preacher said today? I have quit trying to change the world. I've quit, number one. Number two, we can only vote on the choices they give us. Now, if we could sit down with this lady, question and answer, and say, what is your authority? The essence of law, the less essence of a people's law is their God. If they worship themselves, then their, their law is going to be, if they worship nature, their laws are going to go that way. The, and the, the, the essence of anything 
is bound up in its origins. The tree is determined by the root. So you have to go backwards. And unless a person, in my estimation, believes in the infallible, inerrant word of God, and that only, then they're not going to come to the conclusion that I think they ought to. Uh, you, remember, you remember Fred Sanford? Yeah. <laughs> well, Fred Sanford had a, had a toothache, and he was telling his son Lamont, and Lamont said, well, I know a good-colored dentist. He said, I don't want a good-colored dentist. I want a Jewish dentist. What's the point? I want a doctor who's skilled. I don't want a doctor who's crazy charismatic. John had his hand up. Yeah, I'm just trying to get around uh, other uh, people. Uh, it seems like the, so I want to pick, on, pick on something you did say. Uh, just a if you need to go ahead, you can. Or, okay. Uh, it seems like the question's becoming more, I, I don't know, something maybe I'm just thinking about as this is being discussed is this seems to be a wisdom issue, right? How do we practice wisdom in, to Tom's point, if it can be influenced in any way, shooting to influence the best possible biblical outcome? Like if, you know, if you could just snap your finger and have a Christian in every, <laughs> every major hall of, uh, you know, the government, we would, right? We don't. So what can we control through, you know, talking to people who vote, trying to change their minds, trying to, you know, see people come to Christ and change their whole line of thinking and as a result change their, how they vote. I mean, it's voting in this country. That's, that's a big means and you only get one, but you do um, have a sphere of influence. And so there's, you're preaching the gospel and there's your witnessing. And um, however, um, you know, the questions come in, forming in my mind as this is being discussed is is it binary or should we be able to be excited whenever someone is uh, closer to God, to moral standards that belong to God they belong that it all belongs to God but is it okay once we've done everything we've done to influence practically where we can using wisdom to say, well, I'm just, I'm glad that, you know, the lesser of two evil, evil argument, I'm glad that someone, you know, if, if a Catholic sticks closer to the, what they believe than, you know, religion X or atheist, right? Should we, should we say, okay, we did what we can. Let's just be thankful because we can't change it right now. Next time we'll try to change it. I don't know. The, the question's forming in my head. Is there a spectrum to what a Christian can celebrate in terms of, okay, it's not the best thing, but I'm thankful that it's not worse than this, right? <laughs> it's like, if, 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 you, if you start with the judgment of God, and that's always a good way to figure out where you go, is you start with the end, and then you work back to where you're at. So start with the judgment of God. You're, everybody's there at the judgment of God. The Supreme Court justice or... Uh, nominee or Ruth Bader Ginsburg's there. Everybody's there. And so when you're, when you're there and you are going to try to imagine what God is going to say to those people, 
but whether it's you or whether it's the Supreme Court justice or whatever, and he's going to rule on their destiny, okay? When you start there and you begin to realize that, okay, what is this person? What, how are they accountable to God? What is God going to hold this person accountable to, whether it's this nominee or whether it's you? or whether it's you know, your little brother or whatever else it might be, what is God going to hold them accountable to? So that at the end of the day, they're either going to be in heaven or they're going to be in hell. Now, your theology, what you know of God, what you hopefully have extracted from the scriptures, is going to give weight to what you believe God's going to say to whether it's this person over here is mentally challenged, to somebody over here who's an Einstein who isn't mentally challenged, and they have all this IQ, they just have hardly any IQ, whatever it might be, whatever they use by way of, quote, natural law, or whatever they use by some other kind of law, or whatever kind of reasoning, rationale that you do. We know on Judgment Day, what is God going to say to all those people and their, specific, and their capacities, limited, expanded, legal, whatever it might be, what is God going to say to those individual people on Judgment Day? You need to have a theology for that. Because that, when you take the dominoes and go back to where they're at right now before they get to that day, that's the message to those people. It has to be. This is what they're going to be facing. They're going to be facing that. And so for us as Christians, salt and light in the world, and we know, you know God, Romans 1, um, not just from Romans 1. We know him from, through the gospel in Jesus Christ. We know what is going to be required of every man, according to Paul's gospel, is not to stand before God and have to give an account before God. What is God going to hold them accountable to? What's the standard he's going to hold everybody accountable to? Is it the same or is it different? If, does Paul tell me saying, hey, he who knew the law and sinned, he's going to be judged by the law. He who didn't know the law, he's going to be judged without the law, but yet having law. I mean, you see Paul wrestling with that because once again, he's starting from the judgment of God and he's saying, these, you're going to find people in groups that have more knowledge, less knowledge when it comes to what they actually knew concerning the gospel, for example. And you're going to have people who are going to have way more whose judgment is going to be because of, because of light is going to have a more severe judgment than those who had less. I mean, we're told this. I'm, I'm told this in the scriptures, okay? So it's not something I'm trying to figure out or to do from natural law or natural thinking or anything else. I'm told it, so I have to accept it. There it is. I submit to it. And so from there, it's a matter of fitting into that, whether it's a, a nominee or whether it's somebody who's, um, look, I get this question all the time. What about, you know, the mentally retarded or challenged that don't know hardly anything and they die and all this, how's God going to hold them accountable? I mean, it just seems to me, and there, there's the, there's the stance. seems to me there, there's, there's your perspective. And then you start going kind of half cocked on trying to judge God on what he should be doing. Cause it seems to me, it's like, stop seeming to you. You got to start here. You got to start with the text and then you get your direction from there. And if the text doesn't give you a lot of direction, you got to take it from what it is. Say, well, I know this, but I just don't know this, or I'm not really told all the specifics here. I just know this, and I can take this to the bank. The righteous judge of all the earth will always do right. He will always do right. He will shut every mouth on judgment day. Nobody will be able to say, I can't believe it. He ruled that way. That doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, look, we even got instant replay. We can go back and say, he shouldn't have done. It's not going to be like one of those judgment calls of the referee on the, on the, uh, on the field. 
everybody's going to understand and everybody's mouth is going to be shut. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's going to agree with God because that's why you have weeping and gnashing of teeth when people get put into hell. But it's going to be God's judgment. And if it's God's judgment, God of all the earth always does right. He can never do wrong. Simply because he does something that you don't like doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. These people rioting because of some injustice in Louisville or whatever. That's their understanding of justice. And we know it's as wrong as there's $3 bill. There is, that's wrong. And because why do we know it's wrong? Because we have a standard that we look at and say, well, according to, this is how God sees justice. God sees right and wrong. And that doesn't quite comport toward that. It comports more toward every man doing what's right in his own eyes. So we judge it accordingly because we judge it based upon something that is inflexible when it comes to God and the things that he says in the word. And so I get it when people say, hey, this girl, she'll be a whole lot better Supreme Court justice than that Ruth Bader you know, Ginsburg person. And when you say that, when you say a, there's a better and there's a worse, you're working off of a standard to say better or worse. And that standard has got to come from the scripture. Well, we know this is wrong and this person touted that it's okay to do that. Well, you're working off of a standard here. But I think what the point Tom's bringing out is that at the end of the day, though, when it comes to these individual people standing before God, you still have to stand before God and you still have to give an account for what? Standing before God based upon what God demands of every single person, regardless of what, how they might have handled law. It's like, yeah, they're going to handle it based upon the light that's in them in Matthew 6. If the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And some people, according to Romans 1, with a reprobate mind, have a tremendous amount of darkness. And so how they're going to reason and, 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 and rule and things, you know, if it's a Nero, you know, versus a, a Claudius versus a Caligula, there's going to be differences versus a Trajan. You can go down and look at the Roman emperors, and you had some pretty good, I mean, legal experts in, in Rome at one time. And then you had some people that were just debauched. Okay, but we say that based upon what we already know is worthy of praise, praise, praiseworthy, and worthy of condemnation because it's closer to what would conform more to what God has already revealed in his word. But both of them are off the, off the ditch. I mean, they're off the road simply because they're not Christians. As such, they're, they're working off of their own philosophy, Acts 17, when Paul goes to Mars Hill, and he you know, preached it to, the, to these people, this unknown God. And we know from Romans 1, all of this is still a suppression of the truth. Some suppress it more than nothing. We say more than, I'm making a judgment call. I'm saying, well, what makes that more and this less? Because here's the standard. This guy has more light than this guy over here who has way less light. He has more darkness. These people have less darkness. And many times in a practical way, basically in a political realm, you're basically choosing people who have lesser and greater darkness in them politically, but individually they have to stand before God and there's only one standard. Here it is. This, so if I'm talking to a person who I don't care where they're at in the, in the spectrum of how they look at uh, the culture and law, this is going to be the final answer. As a Christian, I've got to always preach what God's word says X on any given topic. He says, this is right. This is wrong. I can even say this is right and this is wrong. And I'm not doing the right thing. I'm even condemning myself because the standard doesn't change. It doesn't, it doesn't have to get my practice of it in order before I can get my approval of it. That makes sense.
So, but, but politically, I, I get it. There's a lot of common sense things. We're trying to judge people based on, it's, it'd be like this. I remember sharing this with somebody. You're in the first century. And you have a different kind of political situation. I'll let you share this. But, is that all of a sudden you can vote for either Caligula or Nero for emperor of the Roman Empire. Who you vote for? Who you, who you got? Got Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Got Caligula up or I got Nero. Oh, we got, oh, we got one little caveat. Nero's going to burn Christians in Rome. Now, you, someone would condemn you and say, well, you become a one-issue candidate then. You betcha. I'll become a one-issue yeah. candidate. They're going to be burning Christians in Rome. I'm voting for Caligula. Only because I'm a Christian. They're going to burn me in Rome. You can vote for Hindenburg and you can vote for Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler's going to kill six million Jews and you're Jewish. You become a one-issue guy. You're going to vote for one thing. And so I don't have a problem saying, yep, therefore abortion, I become a one-issue guy. Yeah, but Trump over here, it doesn't matter. If I got one issue here and they're killing people, okay, then if, if both of them are killing people, then it becomes a matter of, geez, the game's up. They're just a matter of killing. Which ethnic group's next? You know, they're starting with the A's, they're starting with the Z's, and they're going to meet in the middle. I don't know. But when you've got one that's doing a way more darkness, in a practical sense, you say, well, I get it. I, I vote for this guy who's less dark than this guy. But both are roundly condemned from a Christian evangelical perspective, and you're preaching to them the truth of God's word. Both get roundly condemned because both don't start with God. That's the point I think Tom's making. They start with themselves, or they start with this guy might be pro-life because it's it's more advantageous to get votes. But he's not pro-life. He's not doing these things because God is being glorified, and he's doing these things in faith. It's like what he said. They don't have faith. They, they lack what it means to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. They don't have any. They can't please God. So the $64,000 question becomes this. If I have a, a lost person or a lost politician or a lost Supreme Court justice, what is my message to them? Is my message to them first and foremost the judgment of God and they need to get ready for the judgment of God? Or first and for, foremost, my message to them is, hey, you need to get better at being a, a Supreme Court justice. You need to get better at being an athlete or you need to get better. There's a Christian perspective on being an athlete, a Christian perspective on being a Supreme Court judge. A Christian, it's like, okay, what I've done is I've put where they're at in making them the best person they can possibly be in their occupation ahead of the judgment. You know, I'll never do that. I'm going to put the judgment before them no matter what. And at that point, the judgment means if they're going to get right with God, Right with God for judgment. You want to get right with God for judgment? Amy at the Supreme Court? This is what you have to do. You've got to get right with God, bow before King Jesus, submit to his gospel, and he's your Lord, and he's your Savior. He saves. You complete surrender. Now, when she does that, whether it's her or whether it's the mentally challenged little kid, see, I can go from any spectrum. When they do that and they become right with God, God now becomes center stage in what they think, say, and do. Why? Because he does that with every Christian. And he, he has to be Lord of all of life, or he's not Lord of any part of life. And so at that point, for her or anybody to say, yeah, he's Lord of all. I got him. He's absolutely. Except over here, I got to be pragmatic, and I got to do this. Wait a minute, you can't do that. Well, then I can't be Supreme Court judge. Well, maybe so. Maybe you shouldn't be. Better to save your soul on judgment day and have King Jesus rule and reign across the waterfront in all of your life than to say, I will, I will let him rule and reign up to a point. And at that, this point, 
it's going to be something else that I'm going to take over. We can't, as a Christian and as an evangelist, and as people who are salt and light, Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Amen. So that, that's the point. Yeah, okay. My question was not on uh, who to put on the court. Yeah, right. Yeah, My question was not was uh, how to vote. My question was not how to, to, uh, to, to be a politician. My question was on the issue of what is natural law because so many appeal to it. And there are some Christians who say natural law is that uh, morally binding and universal principle that's on all men everywhere, uh, covenantally. And, and so that was, that was my question. What is that, that natural law? And how does that, how does that apply or does it? Uh, because, again, my, my question is always by what standard? Yeah. I'm, I, and, and I, you know, the word of God is my standard. That's what I appeal to. I guess the short answer is I don't believe in one. I mean, the scriptures don't talk about natural law. It talks about gospel. And it talks about being, you know, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. But it doesn't talk about suppressing natural law and unrighteousness. It talks about suppressing the truth right. of God and unrighteousness. So there isn't one. They say there's one, but there's not one. They say there's unicorns. I mean, there is. Because you have to understand, I think, I just finished preaching through Romans, I mean, uh, John 13 through 16, which is one night leading up to. And Jesus says, uh, he tells the disciples, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own because you're not of the world. And I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. The word for world there, of course, refers to this world system. And so when I look at a subject like this, including the definition of natural law, the Supreme Court and all of it, this world system for now, God allows Satan to be the ruler of this world system. This is the kingdom of darkness. I don't care how many conservative people you put on the Supreme Court. It is corrupt. Roe versus Wade should have never even been argued before the Supreme Court, but yet it was. The Senate is corrupt. Yeah, the, the, the House of Representatives is corrupt. The White House is all a part of the kingdom of darkness and the system run by Satan and his demons. And so... But then when you get into the scripture of what is the role of government, well, then you go to Romans 13 and you look at the realm of common grace, that it is a restraint on evil. That's why God ordained government to be a restraint on evil. If we didn't have that, we would have total anarchy 24-7. And so when you get down into the particular, though, and it's just what you just talked about a minute ago, and I'm looking as an American, and we live in a, a, a democracy where you have the ability to vote. I'm looking at just what you said a minute ago. What candidate is going to be closest to the biblical values? None of them are going. There's no possible way that in a true uh, uh, blood-washed Christian will ever even get into a primary in this country. It's impossible. So it's not going to happen. And so be that as it's may, I look at it this way. What is my role? God has called me to preach the gospel in this little church to this flock. That's my role. And then outside the walls to witness the gospel to people. And when it, as far as it comes to I look at the Supreme Court, 
I don't celebrate anything about anybody that gets elected, whether they're Catholic or conservative or whatever they are. I look at that as the kingdom of darkness. And I want whatever is, when I get my chance to vote, what is the closest to the biblical value? Well, obviously the closest to the biblical value is somebody who's pro-life, who's pro-biblical marriage. And then that's, and then I leave it at that. And I know what that is. And my role is to be salt and light in the earth. And I just let the rest of it take care of itself and do what it's going to do, because it's going to do anyway. And I think what happens sadly uh, with Christians is we get caught up in this world system of darkness, thinking that, man, if we could just get all these conservatives in here, we'd have a Christian utopia in this country. No, you wouldn't, because they're all corrupt, too. They're all part of the kingdom of darkness. They're just at a better level than the rest of the people. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to vote conservative. I am. I actually am. But I'm looking at it for what it is, and I'm realizing it for what it is in the world that we live in. And my primary thing is to be the place where Christ is building his church. And and that and that's the role for me. And, and you know, uh, it, 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 and I look, I follow politics. I follow the Supreme Court. I follow the presidential election, the whole nine yards. I get angry when I see the Democrats doing and saying nutty things. Yeah, I do. But at the end of the day, you can ask the folks at our church. I come in here every Sunday and I remind them of one thing, the sovereignty of God. God's in control. This is the redemptive plan of man being carried out no matter who gets put on that court, who don't get put on that court. Do you understand, Pastor, that I agree with everything you said wholeheartedly? Um, again, my question <laughs> had to do more with, and Mark gave the short answer. Uh, There's no such thing as natural law. Yeah, and that was my question originally. Had nothing to do with, um, in a sense, I guess what we're talking about here is a cultural revolution of Christians uh, trying to change the culture. Not my concern. My concern was the issue of natural law. And, and what is it? Is, it? is it legit? Is it real? Because there are some Christians who appeal to that. And that was, that was what I wanted to look at. We are all lepers in a leper colony. And we try to govern ourselves in our leprosy as God puts us, because we're all lepers. And so in that sense, no one escapes in that. Some are worse lepers than others. And in that, um, those who want to uh, sanction practicing leprosy and making it more acceptable and um, giving more further and further um, license to practicing leprosy is going to increase and hasten the day of not only their demise, but the entire leper colony's demise, you would, I can understand the, the, the logic of not voting those people into the council of the, of the lepers here in the leper colony. But when you can always call it the lepers in the leper colony, you get to, you got to have the flavor that, you know, we're all in this together in that sense, that we're all lepers, we're all sinners, we all sin. And you've got people who are going to legislate it and make it so that it's such a way they can do more of it instead of less of it. Obviously, we know because we have a standard, a natural law standard. We have a standard in the Bible that we have a God who hates X and loves Y. And so things that people are wanting to make license for X, we're going to stand up against. Those who are going to be more pro Y will stand for. Get that. 
But at the end of the day, everybody's still a leper and everybody is going to be at odds with God in his X's and Y's until God brings us that gospel. And then he closes with his own righteousness. And then the point at that point becomes, I'm not a leper anymore. I am called now clean and I'm righteous in his sight. And as such, I can do nothing else except serve and follow him all my days. Whatever I'm called as in terms of my profession or whatever I might think of myself in terms of my ethnicity or my gender or anything else is secondary. I mean, when we talk about your Christianity, your being a Christian is the heart of your DNA. It is the heart of your DNA because like the gospel, the gospel is the heart of all Bible theology. You start with the gospel and the gospel will flesh out and keep straight the car of theology on the road that gets us from point A to point B. You were going to share something? John. John. Or yeah. Rich, you were going to say something? Sorry, I really would have loved to be on this discussion from the very beginning. I thought you might be talking about defending neighborhoods against the advance of Black Lives Matter so by this time. And, what, and, and, and when you have churches that are, some are pacifists and some are more activists, how are we going to live in peace? But that, that's a different discussion for a different day. But it may have to be had. However, in, in answer to Tom's question, I don't remember the whole concept of natural law being discussed in any other form than kind of political forms. I may be wrong, Tom. I don't know my history probably as well as you. But the whole it, perhaps the reason that natural law gets inserted, I may start talking about politics and the Constitution, is because if I'm not mistaken, it was the deists and perhaps something knows of more of a, of a friend, you know, like a Jeffersonian concept and how that it introduced itself into our arena, you know, the standard of the scriptures and then this thing <clears throat> called natural law. I mean, I would think that if they were talking about natural law now compared to 300 years ago, on the basis of Roman, Romans 1, that natural law seems to be very different than what they may have defined it back then. Same it's just nonsense. I mean, now, it, it, I don't know where they get it. Am I on the path, Tom? Or am I, I still haven't defined it, but it's nonsense. If it's not based on the scriptures, it's not. It's, it's just like a contrivance of man's sense. own understanding. How do you define ultimately. common sense? Hey, I have a question. Where do we? I know. I know right. It, it might be common to Joe, but it may not be common to Jill, right? But but uh, but, but I mean, it's got to be a commonality for, and be sensible. But it's the same thing as natural law. But who 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 is pushing? I mean, I don't know anybody now. I don't know Tom. You're in a lot more cranial discussions and rub arms with these craniacs more than I do. But they may they may uh, uh, refer to natural law, but I'm kind of wondering what context they're talking about in the establishments of standards and things. And I don't know. So I'm trying to understand. Does somebody on zoom have a question or want to, I do. And my question is, I have a question. Supreme court nominee referring to the fact that she would appeal to natural law as a when the founders were talking of it and before that they realized that this is God's world and he dictates it and we've we've lost like the governed providences 
governed by something, whatever that something is. If that's what the person who said it meant, then yes. No, I mean, because there's no, there's no definition. I mean, if that's what the person who said natural law at that time meant, then just the same as, as she, she didn't right. have any frame of reference for any of this discussion when right. she said that she was just saying that, you know, she's not going to make this a Roman Catholic you know, law, law system. Because that's what they were grilling her about. Right. right. Yeah. So the context of the whole conversation had, she had none of this in her mind at all. Let me ask the folks on Zoom land, uh, can y'all speak and we can hear? Because I see, can you hear me? Right. Can you hear me, Mark? I'm trying to make this thing. Mark, can you hear me? I think, I think either Lori or Frank is trying to share and I don't think we can make it go. I'm, I've got it. Can you hear me again? Hello? Lights on. Volume's up. Hello? Um, I don't know why we can't Frank, hear. I can hear you, but Testing? Um, you guys. The speaker's not working. Jay, can you say something, see if we can hear you or somebody else say something? We, we are saying something. You can't hear us. Yeah. Uh, okay. This says headphones up. I guess I can type it out. Uh, let's see. Let me try to type it out. What do you think, Roger? Uh, it sounds on here. Sorry. Wait, you're not to you're going to Grace Bible, not to everyone. Uh, I'm trying to type to everybody. Okay. Hey, I think we can hear you now. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. My question is twofold, and my question is really to Tom. Twofold question. Number one, and I'm trying to get more specificity as to what you're exactly asking. Number one, are you asking specifically if there is a natural law what what is it composed of in other words what would be those quote natural laws that would be listed out and then number two what is the purpose of you asking that are you in other words are you, are you trying to to deal with this in a, in a more of a, a political realm are you trying to do deal with this more in the sense of, of being uh, judged before god so I guess it's a, you're asking the question, what is natural law? I guess I'm trying to figure out specifically, what do you want to know and, and where are you going with it so that we can more accurately answer that question? Well, I think you hit it right on the head in your first, your first part of your question is, uh, I think exactly, you probably articulated it better than I did. Um, that's what I'm trying to do is trying to find out what is it. Um, and then the second the second part of your question is only because um, I've, I've had, you know, just small discussion, not a lot, not a major, but with uh, Christians who are saying that this natural law is, is, uh, is the natural law that God is, is going to hold us accountable. Uh, it's a moral, it's a moral uh, binding law on all men everywhere. And so I wanted to, because to, I, for me, as I've said earlier, my standard is the word of God. And uh, so I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is this natural law? What do they mean when they say that? And so does the scripture, since that's our standard, does it address the subject of natural law? And so taken in, in the shape that Thomas, a common law among all people, it addresses the law of God in Romans 1 being known by men because it says that no what they know of god they suppress in unrighteousness now romans 1 doesn't call it quote natural law 
what it calls what men are doing, all men, Jews as well. But Jews now have something more than just suppression of uh, what they know of God innately. They have been given an external revelation. They suppress that too. I mean, because he brings that out in, in, in the second chapter. So the answer to Tom's question about natural law, no, in the sense of it being called that, but in the sense of what we know about God in his uh, attributes, um, his majesty, as it says in Romans 1, I'm told by the external law of, or the word of God, the external word of God, I'm told this is what men know. So I don't have to guess at the anthropology in men. I don't have to guess at the psychology of men. I don't have to guess at saying, well, that's just true for some people. No, it says this is what men have, and this is what they suppress, and this is what causes uh, the judgment to go into effect down here, and they are given over to their passions. I'm told that. So I don't have to deduce it from looking around at the trees and the stars that this would happen. I'm told it. and told it in Romans 1. Now, I can look around and see the effects of what I'm told in Romans 1 when that takes place, but... By way of, and once again, if you're going to use the phrase natural law, anybody who uses the phrase natural law, you always want to get clarity on what they mean. And for us as a Christian, I would think the clarity should come from saying, oh, you must mean what God says in Romans 1, where he says all men know God. And since they know him, and think about it, they know just enough to condemn them, but they don't know enough to save them because it takes a preacher in Romans 10, 10 chapters later, to bring the gospel. But they have enough knowledge of God to know things and to know rights and wrongs. They know things are worthy of death. They know the ordinance of God, it says in verse 32. I mean, they're, they're given approval or disapproval. Those things are judgment standards and judgment calls that they're making. They know these rights and wrongs that God says are put there in them. That, But notice the reference is to God. It isn't just some floating out there natural law that's common to all men in some sort of nebulous way. It's attached to God. And so when they start suppressing that, they're suppressing the truth about God. So all law, uh, what men know in Romans 1, is attached back to the creator that they were created from. I'm told that, so I can preach that. And so um, they're held accountable for that because it's very easy to say, well, we all have a natural law, and they escape culpability if they violate natural law. Well, no, 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 no. You don't have a natural law. If that's the case. There is no natural law. But you have this law, and it ties back to your creator. It says in Romans 1.20. If, if what they're saying is what Romans 2 is saying, and if that's what they believe defines what natural law is, this is, this is pretty interesting here because it obviously on the tail of Romans 1. It says in verse 12, Romans 2, 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Now, he's not talking about regenerate Gentiles here, I believe. No. He's talking about that light of conscience, just some general, I, I don't know. I mean, this is the closest biblical definition I can get of it. I, I'd like to finish here. It'll just take a couple more verses. Um, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature 
do what the law requires, they are law themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness. And then it goes kind of further. There's a little further dynamic here. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, here comes the absolute standard of the word of God, as it compares itself or it becomes the anvil for this natural law that men are either excused or accused by on the day of judgment. And it says, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So there is a standard and it's the scriptures, but there's something working there. And that's the closest I can get to a definition in my mind. Sure. And I'm pretty limited, but and that's still. where I get started from the judgment of God. God will judge. Right. That's why you start here. Right. Work that. If there are Christians that you're talking to that are appealing to natural law from the world's definition, then they are very confused people. They are confused Christians. I mean, that's a short answer. Yes. This is uh, New King James. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Uh, this is the New King James. The Old King James says, he uh, uses the word hold, I believe, hold the truth and unrighteousness. The Greek word there that's translated suppress and hold is, is the Greek word kata lambano. It's a, it's a compound word. Kata means against, or I means down. And lambano means to hold. If you hold something, you can hold it in several ways. You can hold it over your head. You can hold it under your feet. You can hold it out here. You can hold it here. But the word that, that Paul uses there, kata lambano, means to hold something down. Well, to hold something down, that thing has to exist. And to hold something down, we have to know it exists. And to hold something down, we have to make an effort to suppress it. Yeah. And the the point is, and it's been made several times, there, there, there is something inside of us where we know a lot more about truth and righteousness than, we, than we're willing to admit and certainly more willing to practice. But we hold it down. We suppress it. Um, we, we, we don't want to let it up because it, it contradicts our nature our inclinations and what we want, what we desire, what we like, our goals, our missions. And, and You're right, the truth can the really truth. frustrate you fun. Yeah, it's the truth. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not somebody's it. opinions or it's the truth. The Bible doesn't talk about laws in the sense we talk about it. You know, we talking this law, law, nature. I don't, 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 it's, it's truth, right. and and when it speaks of law, it speaks of the the codified law. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, it's, the, look the, at it up here. Right, you know, right. Is, it's in yeah. unrighteousness that yes. they suppress it. Right. That means yes. you're, you, when you have possession of the truth, you're supposed to. It's supposed to have a a certain expression. It's supposed to have a certain liberty in you when you hold it down. Be one thing if you couldn't quite understand it or something to this effect. But when he says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, they're doing something illegal. 
they're, with the truth. They're actually doing something that it was never meant for men to do it when they understand the truth. And they're doing it in such a way that it's unrighteousness. That's why he says, he just didn't say, <coughs> rather God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. They suppress it in unrighteousness. It's purposeful. <laughs> it's purposeful. It's purposeful. And, it's, yeah. and they know it and they're doing it. And so they're, they're culpable on what they've done to the truth. They've murdered the truth in the sense of what they're doing to the truth is done in unrighteousness. Correct. It's premeditated and it's done on purpose. That's why he says it's, they're doing it in unrighteousness. And he tells you what they know because that which is known. See, here's this truth that they know. Now, this is true for every single person on the planet. They know God. That's why when you take a kid, a baby, and you start trying to teach them about God, you're not teaching them from some foreign language. You're not going, what the world are they talking about? You start talking to them about, you know, you were made. God made you. You, you have a creator. He, he made you. He made me. Uh-huh. It's like, for real. Look at that. I mean, you're not writing on a blank slab. It's not like the, was a tabula rasa type of thing where it's just a, no, this, this, this kid comes, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a hard drive coming already formatted. Okay. It's ready to receive, you know, more knowledge, but it's got a base. It's got understanding. So when you use these terms about God to little, the little kids and all this, they can latch on to that. Okay. Yeah. Who made you? God made me. And they say those things in the catechism. I mean, Becky used to teach that and they don't have a qualm about it. They're not sitting there going, God, what's, what's, what's this word called God? Oh, God, what's a God? God, you know, they don't, they're not out there in la-la land when it comes to those things. It's later on down the line, Romans 1 people who, you know, have to actually suppress this thing all their life, that they actually start bringing up God. They, you start getting them angry. I've never talked to an atheist who's not angry. <laughs> Why? Because they're mad at God. They've been suppressing all this truth for so long, unrighteousness. It's warped them. But for some kid, yeah, you talk to them about God, it's like, Okay, yeah. Yeah, because that's how they're created. They're every person on the planet. Doesn't matter if they're in India, Argentina, here. This is how they're created. Here's your universal psychology on the, your anthropology about every single person. Now, you go talk to a 25-year-old like this, they've had 25 years of practicing, practicing unrighteousness and suppressing the truth. You're going to get a different pushback than you talk to a 25-month-old about God and try to teach them catechism and teach them the things of the ways of God, and they're way more receptive. Well, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. You probably might have teenagers who do this as well. But the whole point, like what you're bringing out here, when it comes to this truth, is that God's made us this way. And as such, it doesn't matter if I'm a Supreme Court nominee or if I'm somebody who's mentally challenged. When, it, when push comes to shove, and I'm talking to them about God, about God, and they start bringing up, say, whether it's natural law or something else, whether some sort of wave-shaped form of doing what's right in their own eyes, even if it's collectively doing what's right in the American eyes as a group, at the end of the day, as it said in Romans 2 that Rich read, you, according to my gospel, you're going to stand before the, the judge of all the earth, and he's going to bring this to your remembrance here in verse 18. You had the truth, and you suppressed it, and you're now accountable for that suppression because you suppressed it in unrighteousness. You can talk about all the education you got. You can talk about all the things that you did in law and society and all this. But here it is. This is the judgment. The judgment isn't going to be how good of a Supreme Court justice you were. It's going to be this. It, what did you do with my truth? You suppressed it and you suppressed it in unrighteousness. And so the converse might be, well, what would it have looked like if I hadn't suppressed it? You want to see what it looks like if you hadn't suppressed it? 
Yeah, you would be embracing the gospel. That's what happens. God has to come in and illuminate your understanding because your, your mind's hidden, to, uh, blinded by the God of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And when you see it, he gives you the grace and the power to embrace these things because left to yourself as a leper in the leper colony, you're going to love your leprosy. That's just, that's a given. It's a given truth in the scriptures. Lepers love their leprosy. And somebody's going to come in here and say, I'm going to give you cleansing where you're not going to have leprosy anymore. Now think about it. You're talking to a leper here. That's, that's all they know is leprosy. And you're going to give them something that they've never known experientially before. They've known about that because the text says they've known the truth and they've suppressed it. And they know they shouldn't be practicing leprosy. But yet they still practice it and they love it because that's who they are. They're lepers. But God comes in and he changes the DNA and he changes the legal ramifications and says, nope, legally you're now this and you're not a leper anymore. You're a child of God and you don't love leprosy anymore. You love me and you hate leprosy. But I'm still in the leper colony. You're surrounded by lepers. I get it. But you're not a leper anymore because I've, I've set you free. And so our definition of who we are is different and our our relationship with the truth is different. We don't suppress it anymore in unrighteousness. We express it and we preach it. We have to. That's who we are. Anybody else? Or anybody on Zoom land? Hey, Mark. It's Jay. Uh, yeah, Jay. Go ahead. Uh, how active do you think we should be in politics as Christians, seeing that it's mostly corrupt anyway, but that's the way the world is. But how active do you think we should be? Oh, how active. Okay. We should be in politics. Yes. Uh, I guess you're, that's kind of broad. <laughs> um, I mean, your first responsibility is what isn't to be political. It's to be Christian. It's to be given witness to the Lord Jesus Christ in everything we think, say, and do. So whatever, whatever, doesn't matter what category I weigh in on. It could be economics. It could be geophysics or whatever. I got to come in from a perspective of my relationship, not just with Jesus Christ, but from the word of God saying, what does the standard, what does God's word say on all of these things? Now, Bob isn't going to, you know, maybe give me, you know, formulas like E equals MC square kind of thing. But what it's going to give me, is going to give me the framework that I approach every discipline in every facet of life. And I think by, by us being salt and light, we should always bear that witness to any discipline. I mean, Bible going to tell me how to do quadratic equations in math, but I can come with the framework of knowing that God created math. It's a lot. It's logic. It's just simple logic. And, and it's, and it's fleshing out because God's mind's logical. I can come from that. So if I want to give witness to um, the origins of math and the context for it, I can't, it doesn't mean I can't get into the warps and woofs of math itself. And all of a sudden I'm doing quadratic equations all, all day long. It doesn't mean I got to be quoting Bible verses, every other quadratic equation. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the witness we have to, we have to bear, but we should be having a ready answer ready, to, especially to give answer to fools in our culture who um, want to, as it says in first Peter three fifteen, a defense for the hope that's in us. And we should have an answer for everything in the culture. It doesn't mean I have a specific answer, but it does mean I have a, a contextual answer for everything. It's, it's King Jesus. It's his world. This is my father's world. And so from that perspective, yeah, this is how my father created it. And he made it this way. And I will have the little kid ask me, well, why, why did God make 
horses with stripes, white and black. Those are called zebras, sweetheart. And yeah, they're not horses. They look a lot like, well, why, why did God do that? That's a great question. I don't have the answer to it. All I know is God did it. God created it. You know why he did it? Because I'm, I'm told this, it's for his own glory. And he's glorified with animals that look like this. Okay, and that should suffice. Because you're not going to get much more than that when you try to dig into, why did God create zebras or jellyfish or mosquitoes? <laughs> <laughs> we can really start getting technical. But, you know, it, once again, it, we have something that covers the waterfront, though, when it comes to anything that's out there. I think it's a matter of Christian liberty as to whether or not how deeply you get involved in politics, uh, as with anything else, uh, what, what you decide to do with your time each day when you're not working. Um, if politics uh, succumb, overtakes your, your Christian life and that becomes more important to you than obedience to Christ and reading his word and actively worshiping then you got a problem but if you're the main thing is the main thing in your life and you're living a life that seeks to glorify god and under that heading it's fellowshipping with the saints worshiping on sunday reading your bible studying your bible growing in grace if you want to get involved in politics and go down and help uh you know a, a candidate i i think that's a matter of your christian liberty as long as it doesn't overtake you and consume you, which I'm afraid uh, we've seen that in the church, and uh, especially here uh, recently in days where it just, it totally consumes people. We're not called to change the culture. We're called to preach the gospel. And the gospel preaching is what is going to change one person at a time uh, through, through regeneration. If you're a politician from lobbyists and lawyers, do you really expect anything better in your culture? Every time I've talked to and pulled somebody off the floor, with the exception of one, I let them know. I said, you know you're going to be held accountable for every rule that you voted for. That's not me you're going to answer to, even though I pay your salary. You're going to be answering to somebody else. See, Tim hit the nail on the head. See, once again, he's going back to the judgment of God. So when you start with the judgment and work your way back, it doesn't matter if it's Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Independents. I'm starting there. And so whatever they're doing, all I have to do is ask a question. Say, let me ask you something. What, whatever you're doing right now, do you think whatever you're doing is going to pass muster with God on judgment? Day? You think God's pleased with what you're doing right now with this law or this lobbyist or this, 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 or you, can you say God is pleased with what you're doing? Now, if they say, yeah, then I'm gonna say, okay, show me how he's pleased. If they say no, then I'm gonna say, well, then why are you doing it? You know, you're suppressing the truth. So you know, he's not pleased with what you're doing and yet you're doing it. Yeah, but I'm not like those evil Democrats. Yeah, I'm not like those people that the Tower of Salaam fell on. I'm not like those, yeah, I mean, what is Jesus said, unless you repent, you're going to likewise perish. It's across the board. So if you start with the judgment and say, is God pleased with what you're doing? Is that going to be, is that going to hold water on judgment day? And then you work your way back and watch them squirm. That could be true for a Christian. That could be true for a non-Christian because that's what's going to take place according to 2 Corinthians 5.10. Read your Bible. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and we must have to give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. Good or bad, really. Yeah, that means you, and that means me, and that means 
Ginsburg, all of them are going to be there because God's going to show that what you did is the real deal. That's going to be that Ephesians 2.10, those works that were created in Christ Jesus so that they'll, they'll become displayed. And they will see that my sons, they performed good deeds, deeds that I accepted, deeds that were manufactured by the Holy Spirit, deeds that I created faith in their heart to believe in me and trust in me, and I accepted and say, well done, thy good and faithful servants. You've got good deeds. Here they are. And they, they vindicate that you really are a child of God, that the imputed righteousness that I gave to you was real, and it stuck. Because you've got good deeds that were manufactured to the Holy Spirit that you practiced in believing in me as a body that's still got leprosy, but not the inner man who doesn't because I'm new. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's why everybody who's lost out there, because think about it. God's got to do it. The Holy Spirit has to produce it. He has to create the faith in, in you. Not all have faith, it says in uh, Second. Thessalonians 3.1, not all have faith. And so if you have the faith, where did you get it from? You didn't manufacture it. Seems like it's yours. Seems like you manufactured it. Feels like you did, but you didn't do it. Why? Because the standard tells me it was given to me. Oh, well, it sure felt very natural for me to believe in this promise. I know. See, but it's given to you as a gift. The guy next to you, he, he hasn't been given that. He's not going to believe in me. He's going to believe in himself and his works and everything else, society, everything. But he ain't going to believe in me. He might be more moral in this area outwardly than you, but he ain't going to believe in me. And on judgment day, he'll be shown that he suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. I, I think it's a great thing for regenerate Christian, genuine Christians to run for political office. I look at the example of William Wilberforce in England and the effect that he had on the slave trade in England. But in this current climate, God help you if you're a genuine Christian and you want to run for office. It's going to be a tough road, you know, and I'm all for it. You know, if there's a genuine Christian that locally wants to get involved in politics, I get behind him. I, you know, I'll support him. But man, that's a nasty, that's a nasty realm. Let me ask you a question. It's a thought question for you. And I'll, we'll, we'll close with this. How in the world did Lot ever have a seat in the council in Sodom? Because it says he used to, remember, he used to sit in the gates. That's how he saw the two angels coming. You sit in the gates, you're a judge. You're a judge in Sodom. Mm -hmm. How in the world? It's the Sodomites, man. How did, and he's a Christian, I'm told that in Second Peter chapter 2. How in the world did this guy get to hold office in Sodom? He must have had a really good campaign manager. He could really, I mean, just get the votes, promise them the world, or, you know, free lunches forever or whatever. Honestly, this is my take. I think he got put there because Abraham rescued them, if you remember. He defeated the five kings. And Sodom was, they, they got decimated. And so Abraham locked and loaded and went to go rescue his nephew. And remember, he didn't even receive a sandal from those kings. But since he rescued his, they, he was the real, you know, avenger who came and rescued all these people. They felt obligated to put Lot as, a, give him the key to the city, let him sit in the, you know, his, his uncle came and, and rescued us. So we want to kind of give him an honorary title position, whatever. And he sat there in the gate. But as, as it says in Second Peter, 
Here this man feels his righteous soul tormented day and night. Here's a guy, because think about it. How do you run for office as a Christian in a sodomite city? You don't. They're not going to elect you. That's the first question they're going to ask you on the, in the debate. How do you feel about homosexuality? It's an abomination before God. Yeah, let's all vote for this guy. They're not going to vote for you. But yet, if he got put there because of what his uh, uncle Abraham did, we can see how he's in the, in the gates. And at the same time, we can see how he was hated. Because when he brings it to two men into his house, they come storm his, his house. And they have, you know, you set yourself as a judge of, over us. See, when they make that kind of statement. Like, who are you to tell? You know, it's like, these people really don't like Lot. So what's he doing in the gate? How do you get that position of power? And, and it's probably what Abraham did to rescue those people and to save their city. And then here, it's that same Abraham who's interceding on behalf of righteous people that might be in Sodom until God. Basically, how about 20 people? How about 10? Basically, God wasn't going to destroy it if it was just one. That's why he took the one out. Now he's going to destroy it. But it's, it's, you know, talking about politics and talking about running for office and stuff. I mean, after a while, your constituency, I, I honestly don't see how a full-fledged, born-again, I mean, sold-out Christian can run for some sort of office and represent some district in San Francisco that's 90% LGBT. I mean, how? It's not, it's not as if you can't try. It's just that it's like... Okay, I'm going to jump off the, the house and gravity won't work this time. No, I mean, you, can, you know what these people want to do. And it's like trying to run for mayor of Sodom or Gomorrah. You know what they want to do. You stand in their way. There are people who have a reprobate mind and your mind in reprobate. And you want to, and you want to rule over them. It's like, oh, okay, I, I don't know what you're going to enact by way of laws. But I mean, you know. <laughs> Like anybody else before we close? Yeah, go ahead. The church is now and will be soon or later more persecuted than it ever was in this country. So, what do we do now as the body of Christ, true believers? Uh, not individually, but collectively. How can we? stand for God in this nation and be heard because there's so many false religions out there under the name of Christianity. How, how do you do that? Preach the gospel. What does it say in 1 Timothy 2 about, you know, I want men everywhere to do what they offer up prayers. And he talks about people in ruling places. For what reason? Why am I praying for these people in power situations and in positions of authority? so that we may lead a tranquil life in order that we may preach the gospel. But notice, it's not so that we can lead a tranquil life and they would just leave us alone, let us go and be, we just want to have peace. It's not just to have peace. It's not, we're just interested in having our comfort zone protected and we, we hate people messing with it. But we understand we're gonna be like our master. Our master was persecuted, we're gonna be persecuted. We get that. But it's legit to pray that, you know, Lord, if we can have peace in order that, we can expand the, um, the glory of Jesus Christ into all the world. It has a, a utilitarian effect. It has a useful effect so that the gospel can spread. Um, I, have a, I want quietness and I want less chaos so that the gospel can, can go forth more so than I want security for me. It's great to have security, but that's not my number one goal in praying for that type of um, effect on those in positions of authority. So, 
Because it's easy to think that, I mean, especially when you got a wife and kids and a dog and, you know, you kind of want to just be left alone and kind of like do my own thing. It's like, well, you know, you're not really called as a Christian to come here and just do your own thing. You come here to, you're part of salt and light. You're part of spreading, you know, the good news. And so we want to pray for our leaders in order for that to be able to, to, make, to, be able to happen. And then if we happen to have this benefit on the side of peace and tranquility, wow, that's even extra, you know, cherry on top. But just if we can be, you know, left to be able to do these things, okay, we're good. I'm good with that. So let's pray. Y'all been very patient. Appreciate everything we've shared tonight. Thanks, guys, for those on Zoom. Good discussions uh, from uh, Frank and Jay with their questions. So we'll just go ahead, go ahead. I'll close this in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for this time. We thank you, Father, that King Jesus rules and reigns over all the affairs of men, that everything, Father, today that has taken place providentially is by your hand. We're mindful, Father, that nothing escapes and nothing is not predestined. And so, Father, we, we take great comfort in that, knowing that our work is not in vain and that our work is not ever uh, diminished. We just ask, Father, that we would be faithful, that we would be found faithful. A servant needs to be found faithful, not necessarily successful, but faithful, even if it costs us our lives, that we're faithful to the end. And we're faithful to have King Jesus as Lord of Lords in every area of our lives. The smallest area, whether we're cooking in the kitchen or we're doing something uh, before Congress, that, Father, that whatever we're doing, that King Jesus rules and reigns, that we can say, honestly, if someone was to stop us in mid-sentence and say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is being glorified right now? That we could say, yes, I believe in faith that I'm doing everything in my power to glorify my master. Father, help us in that. Help us, Father, to have a heart that seeks to do that. That especially that we won't say any unwholesome word, as we've been understanding in Ephesians 4, that we would be kind. That we're kind to all, that we're gentle in our teaching. And that, Father, that we're not acting like the world who have no hope whose standard is their own reprobate heart in Romans 1. Why would we ever want to imitate and answer a fool according to their folly? Help us, Father, to, to give them the answer as their folly deserves, Father. And we were fools once as well. So help us to have that kind of compassion toward them and to have that kind of word, Father, that would be a word of regeneration, a word of apples of gold and settings of silver that would cause their entire lives to change. And we thank you for tonight and our discussion tonight that, Father, these would be apples of gold and settings of silver, and we would be encouraged. For it's in Christ's great name we pray. Amen.